it, well, the it's, team is just, it's an actual team. What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. What's up, and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It is the Mathieu Guerrant episode number 32. How's it going, Sean? Excited to be recording another episode amidst a six-game win streak. Oh, what a heater this team's on, hey? Oh, man, I... Like, I don't even know what to say, honestly. I know, I know, I know. We've got a list of notes and stuff, and it's just like, well, we don't want to criticize people. We don't want to, like, it's tough to pick out things that they need to improve on. I think it's time to just, like, celebrate the things that are going well. Pump a few tires and then uh, maybe talk about at the end what things we can improve on, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So since I guess we we last talked, though, there's... Uh, had games against the Kraken, the Lightning, and the Canucks on Saturday night. Uh, again, like you'd mentioned, three straight wins. 5-2 route over the uh, the Kraken. 5-3 uh, win against the Lightning and a 4-2 uh, win against the Canucks. This this goes back to the thing that you said a couple weeks ago, how this team, when they score, like if they get more than three, they're going to win. Well, like their offensive acumen is nobody can look at that and say that they don't have offense. That's the one thing you can guarantee from Edmonton almost every every single game is that they're going to get three goals or more um, yeah. outside of when they just don't have it some nights, which happens to every team, to be fair. Um, but what they're really getting, especially in this stretch, is goaltending. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the I mean, it's a six-game win streak right now, but five of those came from Jack Campbell, and I think you're starting to see a goalie that's starting to get his confidence back to a place that he's really happy with. And I think the team, you can see, like, just the way they embrace him after wins, too. Like, he, he must be just a lovable guy in the room. Well, I think a lot of people, like, obviously didn't expect Campbell to have as bad of a start as he had. But it's not necessarily surprising that he's had trouble adjusting to a new system. Because a lot of players do. And a goalie, especially, being the most important player on the ice... Like, if they are struggling to adjust, it's going to show the most. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I, it, maybe it is. Maybe it's just that extra time getting those extra practices in. Um, okay, which game was it this week with the, the ugly goal off his glove? That was, was that against the- Seattle. It was the second goal. Oh, I think it was a Vince Dunn shot from that left wing where he just, like, just weak-wristed tried to glove save that one puck. That's right, yeah. Because uh, I think he, he made like a 10-bell save like right after that, but uh, in between whistles. Um, I'm not sure. Did you catch the glove change? I did catch the gloves change. Actually, I forgot to mention, I was actually at that game. Oh, um, that's, right. that's right. Yeah, so I ended up going to that game. So I did have to rewatch the replay to like really dig into everything, but I did notice that he skated to the bench. I didn't notice at the time that he grabbed a new glove, but I right. figured something was going on. He was at least looking at his glove when he skated to the bench to take a look at it because now, especially right after the goal and he just stared at his hand, and that's at least the second, if not third time he's done that this year. I was going to say, so... I'm not sure whether or not he's like super superstitious or whether there's uh, a little stitious, 
but um he uh he's changed his pads his gear already once uh bad glove i don't know what it is so i believe here's what i think had happened and i think if i remember correctly this is what they were talking about on the post game show afterwards on 1260 what had happened is everybody knows that he was switching over to this new gear right um, and he had switched his pads. He had switched everything. One thing he hadn't switched yet, though, was his glove because right. he wasn't sure if it was like broken in yet or ready for game. And right. I think after that goal, he was like, fuck it. That's the last straw. And he just threw his old glove away and just grabbed the new one. And he was just yeah. going to make do with it. It's a good point because like those gloves, I love them broken in, but like a new stiff glove is a bitch. So I like, I'm assuming he switched the new glove, right? Yeah, he switched to the new glove because clearly that one, at least from what I could tell from that play and from his reaction to it, it really was yeah. missing the rigidity around the mesh, especially. It's like similar to using a baseball glove, right? When it gets really broken in and sometimes yeah. it hits the top of the glove and generally it would be caught, but it kind of just flops over instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good point. That's um. Yeah, just taking a look at these games, uh, I found the actual overall games themselves very entertaining to watch. Like, all three of them. Um, there was never really, like, I mean, 5-2 win against Seattle was still felt very close the entire game. Well, the thing was that the game was close at one point, where it was 3-2 to for Edmonton, after they gave up that weak glove goal we were just talking about, and then they managed to pull ahead and end up winning the game. Obviously, the Lightning game was essentially a one-goal game because they scored an empty netter. And then the Canucks game, I don't actually have that up in front of me right now, and I didn't finish rewatching the highlights. But like, <laughs> one. it was still an extremely close game. It was a 3-2 game as well, with uh, Edmonton scoring an empty netter. So they're all very yeah. close games. Yeah, that's very true. I, I honestly thought the Vancouver game was kind of slipping away from them. Um, they're, they're making that late push, and... Uh, I don't know. I got so entangled with the whole Bruce Boudreaux situation in Vancouver. Like, what the fuck? I, I just felt so bad for him um, that I is almost like in the cards to uh, see them come back. But I guess the Oilers hold out and get the win. So I can't um, say I've ever watched a game against Edmonton outside of having outside monetary interest in the game that I wanted Edmonton to lose because I okay. felt so bad for Bruce Boudreaux that I wanted him right. to win his last game. <laughs> okay, so you said it. I, I was thinking it. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, the only thing that I couldn't stand, I don't know if you, you probably saw it closely, but another game where JT Miller's having a little shit fit on the bench. Dude, JT Miller like, is truly an embarrassing player. And it's funny oh. because I was going to talk about uh, how Tampa Bay specifically Kucherov, but the entire team was just whining and crying like the whole game against Edmonton because they weren't getting their way. And then JT yeah. Miller gives off that same energy. And it just so happens JT Miller used to play for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So well, I'm wondering if that's where he got it. Well, and even when you see him throw his little shit fit on the bench, um, there's Kuzmenko that like you can see he's like, oh my God. And then Pedersen's rolling his eyes. Like the, the players are fucking checked out on him. Well, like, there's been rumors, like, obviously they hired um, Rick Tockett yesterday, and mm -hmm. one of the rumors were coming out that they specifically are hiring Rick Tockett to help take care of JT Miller, 
and to maybe whip him into shape of sorts. And like, at what point do you hire a coach specifically because you have a shit player on your team with a bad attitude? It's a sunk cost fallacy, man. Like you're basically trying to work around a dumb contract that you signed in the summer. Well, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, obviously I understand they're stuck with Miller, but they're essentially going to burn down their team to satisfy his ego. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. Like they're bringing in a questionable coach they're going to be getting rid of the captain in Horvat. Uh, there's rumors that, that Pedersen doesn't want to re-sign there. You got Quinn Hughes who's there who has a few years left on his contract still, but he's watching his brothers in New Jersey, or at least Jack right now, and then soon to be Luke Hughes joining him, having success and fun on a team in New Jersey. Meanwhile, he's suffering here on Vancouver. Like, yeah. I don't know what they're doing there, but they're certainly just not helping the environment whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know what the like they need to blow the whole thing up. Uh, I don't want to talk about Vancouver all podcasts, but like that I feel bad for their fans, man. Well, ultimately that's that's the thing is that the fans are the ones who are getting the shittest end of the stick. Like obviously Vancouver has had some negative aspects to them in the past of like how I look at them as a team, but most of the time like it's just because I don't like some of their players. It's not because of the fans outside of maybe the riots, but that was probably more bad apples than anything else. The fans are still extremely loyal fans and they've seen some shit. They've had some shit owners, some shit management, like having to deal with, uh, like I know Messier is an Oilers legend, but he's one of the most hated people in Canucks history. Oh, totally. Like they've went through some just absolute shit management where they've made horrible decisions. And I'm surprised to see that like, the Sedins are still in the organization and I'm sure they'll find a way to like push them out to the point where they don't want to be part of the team anymore. Similar to like what they've done to Trevor Linden. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Um, it's funny you brought up, let's get into that Tampa game. Um, just cause that, that had some gritty feeling. Uh, the one thing I wanted to talk about this week, cause I'm starting to notice it in the Oilers. Like this is a fucking team that is playing for each other. This isn't a team that's about individualistic, stats or um you know improving their individual game like this is a team man like they are coming together and you see it like especially with the 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 fighting and all the little antics like with uh cost and going to the the penalty box and how the team surrounded him apparently in the in the whistle um oh, yeah i love that to- that scene from that game where um nurse is pouring the fucking bio steel on top of costin's head in the penalty <laughs> box with him and kane around him well apparently even at the commercial break mcdavid skated over and like gave him a tap on the pads like it, well the it's- team is just it's an actual team like the mm-hmm. locker room regardless of how the season has went thus far outside of the six game win streak i think the locker room's closer than it ever has been yeah yeah it's uh it's definitely refreshing you're starting to see guys stick up for each other and uh it's just things that we haven't seen in an oilers club in a long long time so i think the the one thing so i was watching hockey night in canada after um the canucks game on saturday and and one thing that i know we've been kind of like talking about how uh the season all me in particular has just been like the season's been meh but uh Kevin Bieksa described it as a very workmanship like style season where there's no big ebbs and flows to the season. Like you remember last year, 
Like, this is a very steady Eddie team that's just trying to put small things in place and getting better over time. Well, and I think it shows that they're slowly coming together more and more on the ice as, like, an actual team unit. Because that's one thing that's been a huge detriment to them all season is their five-on-five defense has been just abysmal. Yeah. There's something about just guys missing coverage, and then all of a sudden shit hits the fan super, super hard. Like, you can look... (laughs) At something as simple as in that um, Tampa Bay goal or game, mm-hmm. there was the first goal, I believe it was, where there was like the breakaway and they hit the post. And then mm-hmm. the whole team was just panicking and nobody ended up taking the puck away. Like, I think Barry made a bad pinch that resulted in like the breakaway. And then DeHarnay took his man away. Pulley kind of took his man away, but the Barry couldn't get back into the play to recover in time. But right. those kind of panic plays, like obviously I think that was more of a one-off than at least recently than it has been this season. There would generally be at least one, if not more of those every single game going back into last season. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, one thing that actually stands out in these two games, uh, no Pooley Yarvi. Well, of these three games, no Pooley Yarvi for two of them. Uh, is he on his way out? Well, I think it's a mixture of guys are playing really well. So you had guys like Yadmark who have been playing, I would say, above his level. Same with Costin coming in and being very, very effective. And Kane coming back and Pulley contract being larger. It could have something to do with salary cap. I haven't looked too closely at that, so I don't know for sure how that would work. Um but I think ultimately he is the odd man out. I think we've discussed it at the very beginning of the year about who the odd man out was going to be between like him and Fogel and Holloway. And I would argue Fogel and Holloway have played their way onto the roster, especially with the emergence of Costin. And that's kind of pushed Pugliarvi out a little bit as the extra forward, especially if we're running 11 and seven, like we have been. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, it it almost feels like the only reason he was in that one game last week, I think it was uh, noted that Pat Verbeek was in attendance. So, Well, also, made... Yanmark got sick. So well, true. That's part of the reason true. why he ended up coming in, because they had to scratch healthy, or not healthy scratch him, but six scratch fucking Yanmark, <laughs> and then bring him in. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I The writing's on the wall. I don't know if he's an oiler after the All-Star break, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, I, I mean, it's I, just interesting with Pugliarvi. Like, there's been a lot of people who are like, oh, he doesn't fit with the team. Like, the team doesn't like him. But I don't know. There was just there were some pictures from, I think, yeah. Vancouver where he was out for dinner yeah. with, like, Dreisaitl and McDavid and somebody else I can't remember. Maybe Nurse was there. Or Nurse? So, yeah, yeah, he's out with, like, the full, like, leadership core of the team. Yeah. And like, yeah. I'm assuming it's not just a, like, let's invite him out because it looks good for PR reasons. Like, <laughs> I'm assuming it's because he's close with the team, just like everybody else is. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, you look at how much, not the shit on him, but uh, um, you look at how much the Oilers love playing with, uh, what's his nuts that just got sent down? Uh, Devin Shore. Um, uh, there's just guys that, like, get along with everybody. Well, exactly. And I think given time and lessened expectations, Pugliarvi would fit in very well with this team. But people just refuse to not look at him as the fourth overall pick or whatever that he was. And that he's never going to live up to those expectations. Like, I think at best, 
at his best, he's like a middle six forward who has the potential to put up 20 goals and can play a pretty solid defensive game. But you shouldn't expect him to be able to play with McDavid and put up like point per game stats. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assumption. Um, I'm, I'm actually kind of embarrassed. We've been talking for, I don't know, 15 minutes now at this point, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that Connor McDavid has hit the 40 goal plateau at this point of the season. How ridiculous is that? I mean, it's pretty fucking crazy, honestly. Like, I like, saw, you know how last season, Matthews, for example, scored 60 goals or whatever, over 60 goals? Yeah. Apparently, his goal total, or, man, my, I'm just tripping over my words. His goal total, at this point last year, it was the same as it is now. So he popped off in the second half of the season to get to 60. Really? Meanwhile, McDavid is at fucking 40 goals, and we're just over halfway through the year. So based off of that, I could easily see him hitting 70 goals, especially because he turns it on in the second half of the year. That's what I was going to say is he usually has like a lull over the Christmas break. And even he's like self-proclaimed, self-admitted that he's had that issue. Um, But he always, yeah, like you mentioned, pours it on towards the, the playoffs. So we could be in for a legendary second half of the season. Like, does it count as 50 and 50 if it's in the second 50 games of the year? <laughs> I think so. We can count it. We can count it. Yeah, because, I mean, we're sitting, there's still 34 games remaining in this season. Oh, it's insane. It's not, it's not unrealistic with the way he's been putting out a clip right now. 40 goals in 48 games? Like, well, exactly. And he'll get some rest over the next week or so or two weeks because the All-Star break is coming up. I think next weekend or just after next weekend. So like he's going to have time to recharge maybe some of his batteries that he's killed over the past little while playing like whatever, 23 to 25 minutes a game. And he can come back super strong in the second half of the year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That rest, like he's going to need it. He's going to need it. Um, The one thing, uh, speaking of McDavid that he's been, uh, Talking about over this past week, Drysidle and Skinner got named to the All Star game, and I never saw a single fucking post about it anywhere. Like a like, post trying, like from who? What do you mean? Like I didn't see it announced anywhere. I've just seen people talking about it. Well, I saw it announced because it was during the first period of the Tampa Bay Lightning game. Oh. Okay, so I, maybe I was sitting there watching it, and then they said Stuart Skinner. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then I think they announced it on, like, the NHL's official Twitter or something like that. Jesus Christ, maybe but I'm sleeping. One thing I would like to see, because I don't know if they released it or if it, they will ever release it, is the actual statistics of the fan vote. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the actual polls. Because, like, one thing to keep in mind is that regardless of how the votes went... Each division needed two goalies and the Pacific had only had voted in or they had only picked Logan Thompson for Vegas as their player. So we needed another goalie regardless. And if you look at the Pacific, we have dog shit goalies. Nobody is really doing that well outside of Logan Thompson. We have good goalies that are forming. (laughs) Well, exactly. So my thought is the way that it probably worked is they probably took the top goalie who got voted in, which ended up being Skinner, and yeah. then the the other top, two top players. 
to fit it in. So I'm not saying that Skinner was not deserving to go because like, I think he's had a great on. season. Yeah. But with that being said, I think that it's just uh, important to note that that might be why he got voted in over maybe a player like Nuge or Hyman, who are both having fantastic years as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're 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 downplaying Skinner's season a little bit, but I uh, no, I I think it's it's fantastic to see an Oilers goalie at the All Star game for the first time in fucking twenty one years. Like it's insane. Um, it's the first time in 21 years. Tommy Salo in 20, 2002. Wow. And I don't know if you remember how the rest of that season went for Tommy Salo, but let's just hope that history doesn't repeat itself. It won't. But that, don't, say, don't say it like that. Well, there's no Olympics because that was kind of the start of the downfall for Tommy Salo. I don't know if you remember the Belarus game where he let in the shot from um, the red line and yeah. sent that. In, but. It's important Anyways. to note also that this is um, this is Stuart Skinner is the first Oilers rookie goalie to be put in the All Star game since Grant Fuhr, which was noticed noted by uh, Travis Saunter on our YouTube. So that's, just a shout out to Travis for pointing that out because I did not know that. Okay. That's some good company, man. I mean, it's good signs. You can either be Tommy Salo or you could be Grant Fuhr. So. Maybe fall in the middle ground. I'd be very happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, just before we get off our goaltending here, I saw a picture of Skinner and uh, uh, Campbell walking, I don't know, towards the to Rogers Arena there. We've got a good fucking selection of, like, we got some man rockets in the net. Like, I mean, I think everybody just loves that mustache. I can't say no to that mustache. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And um, speaking of that mustache, by the way, yes. Lanny McDonald was giving him some props for his mustache and asking him to maybe uh, do a little bit of work to make it look good for the All-Star game. <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing little clip. I saw that. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, on the topic of Lanny McDonald and the Flames, can we can we fucking, I was going to say Burry, but he's too close to that age that I don't want to use that term. But Daryl Sutter talking about... Um, is it Pelche that they had in the rookie Jacob Pelche? Yeah. Did you hear his comments after the game? I did not, or maybe I did, but I think I might've brushed over them. Please uh, tell me. A, re- a reporter asked him, um, what did you think of Pelche's game? And he's like, looked at his sheet and he picks up his glasses. And he's like, sorry, what number was he? And then they're like, they gave him the number, and then he's like, just read off his stats. He's like, five minutes in shift time, one shot, uh, two hits. Ah. Like, what an asshole thing to say to a player that's like in his first ever NHL game. Well, you think a guy who's old school, like uh, Sutter, would at least have like some eye test things to say about him versus like, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to read a stat sheet and then be disappointed. Yeah, it was like, I, I mean, especially if you're the fucking coach, that's just the basics of somebody sitting in the stands who should be able to be like, oh, yeah, he played pretty good in his limited time or something like that. Yeah, I I don't know what I don't, I don't know if he puts on a facade like to the media versus what he's like with the players, because I don't think he does just because I don't know if you heard Goudreau when he's in town. They asked him if it was weird coming back to Calgary and he was like, no, no, it's actually I'm really enjoying it. I'm getting to see some friends. He's like, who actually don't play for the Flames, just so Daryl knows. Like, 
that seems kind of like old school, like don't fucking talk to the other team mentality. Yeah, that that mentality doesn't exactly fit around in the current days NHL. I think it's time that we need to talk about our defense because I think we had a, a couple weeks where we're shitting on it. Obviously, it's the weakest point on this team, but we have a lot of um, players that have started to like settle down a little bit. One person in particular, one player in particular, and I'm going to say it. It's January 24th. I'm putting my fucking name on this, Sean. Tyson Berry's a goddamn good defenseman. I don't want him going anywhere. Well, I don't think anybody wants Tyson Berry to go anywhere now. I could definitely say that. <laughs> He's proving to be extremely effective, and I think we're starting to see the Kulak-Berry pairing really settle in as a solid second pairing, similar to what they were doing back in the playoffs last year. Right. Yeah, I, he, he definitely had a, a tough start to the season. I, I alluded to this a couple weeks ago, but... Um, He's a new dad. Like maybe there's some growing pains there, literally and figuratively, um, just trying to get you know life in order. Um, but man, like the the stuff he brings on the power play, we don't have a guy that can break out the puck like Tyson Berry can. Um, you just you you have to have one of those puck moving defensemen on your team. And I know that he was up in trade bait talks a lot at the start of the season and during the off season. But fuck it, I'm happy. Keep him here. Well, he found a way to really batten down the hatches, I'd say, defensively. And then outside of the odd, overly aggressive pinch or something, like the uh, first Tampa Bay goal, he has just been really solid and smart in the own zone. And that's what we really need. And you were talking about the breakout passes, and they're unbelievably important. Because very similarly, I believe it was in the... Which game was that? It was the Lightning game. The other two goals that went in, they both started off terrible breakout passes, one by Cody CC and the second one by uh, Nurse. Yeah. So, yeah, like, very... the breakout pass, especially because Edmonton's, tra- I would say Edmonton's transition defense is pretty terrible compared to some of their other areas of their game, especially now with DeHarnay there to help with the cycle defense. Yeah. Um, that would probably be their worst aspect of their game because, yeah, they just can't break the puck out, and if they turn it over the neutral zone, they come back too fast for guys to recover. And Barry's yeah. really good at getting it out of the zone safely. Yeah, very true. Uh, I don't know, did you get a chance to hear him on Chicklets this week? I did not. I didn't even know he was on Chicklets. Uh, if you get a chance, go listen. They talked to him for about an hour. It was so nice to hear an Edmonton Oiler on a podcast and kind of come out of their shell a little bit, like throwing, you know, through couple like f-bombs here and there and telling stories and stuff but one thing in particular that kind of stood out to me is he talks about how he got in his first year he got into a kind of a fuck you match with the coach and uh they're kind of like he had a slow start to his career and he's saying how the coach like basically is like if you want to do something just go fucking show it to me and he went out and he made like this uh insane breakout pass that led to a goal and he came down and he just like stared at the coach and he's like, from that moment on, I basically knew that that's how I'm going to make like bread in the NHL. Um, but it's kind of crazy just to think that guy's got to play with fucking Nate McKinnon. Then he jumps to Toronto to play with Matthews. And now he gets to play with Connor McDavid. Like, what a wealth of riches. Well, I think that's important to ask Barry, who's the best player that he's played with? Because oh. he has a unique opinion because he's played with all three of those guys. There might be a couple other guys too, but Barry would probably know best, especially having to practice against them constantly. No kidding. But yeah, no yeah kidding. like I would say overall, Barry's been fantastic. That second pairing with Kulak and Barry has been very solid. The third pairing, especially with Broberg and Bouchard, I know it's sheltered minutes, but they have looked fantastic together. 
But isn't that what you need, though? Like, maybe some sheltered minutes to, you know, get the play to where it is right now? Well, you just... It's not even the sheltered minutes. Like, they just need time and playing yeah. together. And all I want out of my third pairing is just to be quiet while you're there and to make oh, good plays. And I would say Broberg and Bouchard, like, they have been pretty quiet, which is pretty good. It's similar to, like, Deharnay's game. He's been pretty quiet as well. Like, But that just means he's just not making noisy giveaways that yeah. are ruining our defense and we don't need the flashy players on defense because we had the flashy players on offense like let those guys do the tough stuff and yeah. just play a solid game and i think to bring this full circle to the first pairing that's where like cc and nurse are struggling because just for example i know it's different sample sizes on these pairings and stuff like that but the top um they released money puck they had released a listing of the top and bottom 30 defensive pairings sorted by expected goals for with Broberg and Bouchard in limited minutes together, to be fair at number three in the league. That's insane. But then nurse and CC with a lot of minutes played together were the second worst pairing in the league. <laughs> it's wild. That's the roller coaster. We've been talking about this entire year. Hey, well, it's just, it's real whiplash when you're first pairing. Like I understand they're playing against the like top guys in the league, but like it's just painful to see how much they're struggling to really make an impact defensively and offensively for that matter, because this is expected goals for percentage. So, um, yeah. yeah, they just haven't been where they need to be. Like I'd say salary wise, they're probably like far and away the worst pairing in the league, considering yeah. the pairing under them is Gabrikov and Bjork. So that's important to note when people are th thinking about Gabrikov, like I've said a lot, is that he's apparently fucking terrible. When yeah, he plays with well, Anders Bjork anyways, or Bjork, that's not Anders Bjork. Anders, Anders Bjork is a forward, so I don't know who that even is. Yeah, it, on a shitty team, albeit, but still, yeah, I know your your point there. And when your defense is playing quiet, like the way the Oilers have been, like this six-game winning streak, they're averaging two goals against. And that's right where you need to be. Well, yeah, probably around like a good defensive team would be, I would say like maybe the 2.7 to 2.5 mark if they were like, they'd be a, considered a good defensive team. So, like, I think they're going to, well, I guess they still have to get back down to that level. But in these recent games, they're making a great effort to get down to that level. Yeah, totally. Uh, just taking a look at your other notes here, just going into things. Um, the Oilers' next seven games, yeah. Jesus, against sorry, the dog's barking. That scared the shit out of me. Holy fuck. I didn't hear a thing. <laughs> okay, well, I guess the mic works pretty well, but that just made me almost jump out of my seat. <laughs> uh so the Oilers' next seven games uh, against um, teams not in the playoff spot. So it kind of makes me kind of feel stupid for the, all the woe is me like at the start of the season. Like this team isn't going to, uh, you know, shitting over a team that hasn't really had the easiest schedule so far. Now we get to really see like if they can make hay. Well, they're certainly doing it so far. And most of these, uh, not most of these games, but a lot of these games have been against playoff teams and divisional opponents like Vegas and Seattle. Um, so this is where they really need to make up ground, especially if they want to be top three, if not potentially even win the division dare, I say with the way that they've <laughs> been playing. Like, I don't want to like count my chickens before they hatch just because we're on a good streak, but they're, no, they've managed to claw back and put themselves in a good position. Yeah. Like if we're looking at the standings right now, the Edmonton Oilers are three points behind Vegas for top spot. Granted the, the team that actually scares me the most in that, in the division is Seattle, because I have no fucking clue what they are. Yeah, Seattle's so, a weird team where, like, even this season they've throttled Edmonton and we've throttled them, and there hasn't really been a super, super close game. I I really, really don't know what's going on there. Uh, the only reason I think Calgary's hanging around is they another year where they're just like cashing in on those 
OT points. Like, I think they have nine now. Yes, they do. Um, a lot of teams are cashing in on those points, though, to be fair. And Edmonton really should be cashing in more on them. Like, yeah, Edmonton, what was the stat? They are tied for second in the league. This might be a few days old, but they're tied for second in the league in regulation wins with 25. Which is seven below first place Boston, but Boston's a different animal. Um, right. But like, if regulation wins were the most important stat, it'd be crazy. So all these other teams, like LA, Seattle, and Vegas, they're winning a lot of their games in overtime. Yeah. And Edmonton just has struggled to get the game to push into overtime. And I'm very That's curious. True. I'd like to recalculate all of the stats for this season to see how the three point system would affect teams. Um, and well, Edmonton would have an improved position because of that. And and so that's the other thing. Like, it's great to say like Calgary's got lead the league in OT points because it it gives the opinion or the assumption that the team is like fighting back in games. You can also give up goals late in games and go to overtime. Well, that would so, be the real stat. Is like how many times are you coming back in games to push it to overtime versus how many games are you blowing like a one or two goal lead to let the game go into overtime? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Just to confirm, the Oilers are still tied for second. There's three teams: Edmonton, Dallas, and Toronto with 25, but then fucking Boston. Oh, what a team this year. Dude, Boston's disgusting. You know how I was talking about that that um, goals four percentage thing? Yeah. On that listing, they had Hampus Lindholm. And he played with three different guys for like 300 minutes or 200 minutes so far this season. He was yeah. like on there with another guy three times in the top 10. So it just goes to show how monstrous Hampus Lindholm has been for them since they traded for him from Anaheim, I believe, last season. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. Um... Of those games, uh, the Oilers play the Columbus Blue Jackets on Wednesday. Uh, this will probably be today when you're listening to this. Um, but in this game, we're not expecting Kane. Uh, sounds like he's taking care of some some personal matters down in San Jose. So uh, be interesting to see how they, they roll the lineup for Wednesday. Well, the word is Janmark will be back playing with Nuge and Costin. So hopefully they bring back that super third line. Um, <laughs> makes me curious to see if Paul Yarvey manages to slide into the lineup at all. Yeah. I assume they're just going to continue to run seven defensemen because there's no reason to think any of the defensemen who are in will sit any games. That's very, yeah, that's very fair. Because I know, like, especially with the way that they're playing and you're used to running 11 and 7 lineup, like losing a forward probably isn't the end of the deal or uh, the end of the, the world. So I don't know. We'll see what happens there. Yeah. And then outside of that Columbus game, the only other game this week is Saturday against Chicago at 8 p.m. And that after that game is Edmonton has a huge gap of probably, what is that, 10 days until they play Detroit again on Tuesday, February 7th. Yeah, I hope the boys just get their, their legs just completely rested. It's kind of like the week off before the push for the Stanley Cup, really. Well, I think this break always does good for Edmonton, too, especially because yeah. they have guys like Drysaddle and Nick David go to the All-Star game. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. And then they can go off and do whatever they, they need to or want to beforehand. Um, but... Uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, just a couple other things of notes. Uh, trade targets are popping up everywhere. We've heard the Gabrikov, we've heard the Chickrens. Um, but is it just me, or is there starting to be a little bit more trash, trash into the Chickren talk? I don't know. I like, personally have not been seeing a lot of Chickren talk anymore. Uh, it's maybe just I that, just haven't been listening to the right sources, though. I, I thought the orders were all out, and just last week that they've confirmed that they've had conversations. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not expecting Chickren to, to come here. Um, like we mentioned, Gabrikov, there's been Joel Edmondson, uh, Jake McCabe, T.S. Eckholm. What do you do there? Like, who do you go for? I would say based off of that, well, starting with Chitrin, I would be disappointed if there wasn't at least some talk with them. Because they should definitely be talking to all teams about all of these available players. See what it will take to get them. And the fact that they're having these conversations in the first place is a good sign. If there's like, here's these eight defensemen that we're interested in. 
versus like if only you heard chitrin 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 that would show me that Hamilton's trying to put all their eggs into one basket which i really don't want to do right because then um, yeah you got them bent over with the offer anyway yeah and i would say like all of these guys interest me obviously i think it's important to note that i believe i don't know jake mckay's hand in this but they're all lefties um and with those who are available, it's just a, it's more of a pick your poison kind of thing. Because I think the ask for Gavrikov sounds like it's too high. Um, there's uh, been a lot of talk that it's going to be similar to like Dan Chariot, which was a gross overpay um, for, I believe, Montreal had traded him away. And that's just like, I'm not willing to do that. Bill Edison might be worth it just because of his uh, championship pedigree. And Jake McKay might be worth it just because he's cheap. And the best of the bunch outside of baby Chitrin is Matisse Ekholm. But I think it might be a little difficult for them to find a way to fit that in salary wise just because That's he's safe. making like six million so without double retention and i would say that's similar to chitrin like i don't know how they're going to find a way to fit that into the lineup considering they're struggling just to get kane back in yeah yeah i don't know i, I feel like if you're going down the, the jake mccabe route i think you're making a trade for the sake of making a trade i don't know if there's an actual value add right now at this point well yeah i think jake mccabe would be depth more than anything maybe if broberg starts to stumble again even though he's really picked up his game and just really settling in maybe if he starts to struggle again before the trade deadline they're like okay we gotta look at something but outside of that i can't see them wanting to make a move that's going to give up significant assets yeah uh speaking of giving up assets uh there's some big fish that you noted those are three very highly touted players that i would love on this team um specifically uh jonathan Taves, uh o'reilly and horvat um of those three which one do you want the most if I got to choose and it wasn't crazy asking price, like a first employee every year or something like that, I would want Ryan O'Reilly. Oh, I'm going to. Yeah, absolutely. Like I understand Dave's pedigree and that's all cool and stuff, but I think he's pretty, I'm not going to say washed up, but he doesn't bring the same skill that he used to. O'Reilly is similar to Taves where he is like a captain on his team and he brings just a lot of defensive pedigree as well as championship pedigree with him. And he's just more effective of a player right now than Davis is. And like, I could look at Horvat and want to bring him in as well, but he lacks that uh, championship pedigree and maybe those leadership skills. I know he's the captain of the Canucks, but um, he just doesn't have that playoff experience. So I'm less interested in him, even though I would say he's probably the best offensive player of those three right now. Yeah. yeah I uh, bring, bring me the factor at the deadline. That would be beautiful. Could you imagine a power play with him and Rysidal, like dishing sauce all over the freaking ice? Like that would be insane. Oh, it'd be, it would be unreal. Um, one other thing of note, uh, so evidently, uh, I was actually wondering it when I was watching the game on Saturday, but, uh, Ethan Bear, uh, sat out allegedly, um, Saturday night because he wouldn't feel onto it after his, uh, dog passing away, which has brought up a lot of, um, discussion around the league. Um, and you, you had the clip of, uh, Mark Spector asking Jay Woodcroft. Uh, I think Jay Woodcroft very elegantly responded to, um, this and kind of broadened it to include all of mental health. What's your take on the, uh, this individual case? Well, if if you're listening, you could hear, or not, I guess, hear my dog barking, but like <laughs> somebody who has a dog, or maybe I'm just overly attached at the moment, but if like he passed away, I'd be pretty distraught for like, right. a, like a week, and I would personally hope to take like a couple days at least to deal with it personally and mentally um, for my job. And like, I understand that these guys are getting paid a lot more than I am, and it's probably a lot more significant when they want to take a day off, but I would hope that they would do that as like not looking at it, at it as a sports organization. But as like an employer as a whole, I would hope that they would be willing to at least give a day. Like say, for example, if his dog had died that day, I don't know the exact story, whether or not it's even true in the first place. But if my dog were to have died the uh, game day, I would probably want to take the night off. Because even if I was playing, my mind wouldn't be there. I don't think the coach would want me playing in the first place. Yeah, I, I could see that too. Like I'm never going to be one to um, 
tell people what's right or wrong. Like they, they've got to make that decision. And like, I agree with you in the sense that you hope that the employer allows people to make those decisions. Personally, just, I think it's my background from growing up um, with animals on a farm. Like it, uh, it's just part of life to me. So I don't really understand it to that level, um, but I'm never going to judge it. I just thought that it's amazing how, how much uproar it got uh, brought. But like it, could you imagine if that player played for Calgary and going to Daryl Sutter and telling him that you can't play? I think it'd be pretty hard to go to a coach like Daryl Sutter and be like, hey, I can't play. But like going to a guy like Bruce Boudreau in Vancouver would have probably been pretty easy because he's a player's coach and players yeah. and feel comfortable talking to him. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. Like you want your players to be comfortable and safe in what they're uh, making the decision to. And if you're being forced to play and you're not 100%, well, now you're just making excuses. You know what I mean? Well, exactly. Like Bear could have played and let's say he had a mental lapse because he had a moment where he was thinking about something and fucked up changing on shift properly, jumped on the ice when it was in his turn because he was half paying attention thought he heard his name or something like that. And they took a too many men penalty, and then he's like, oh, what the fuck was that? And he's like, oh, sorry, I, like, I was distracted. And be like, why are you distracted? Blah, 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 blah. And like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. it could just, exactly. it could go so wrong. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I think that basically takes care of everything. The Oilers have Columbus on Wednesday, another Saturday night hockey night in Canada game against the Chicago Blackhawks, and then we're off for a little bit. That'll be nice. Yeah, I'm thinking that we'll probably do an episode next week, and then we'll probably take the, the week off of the All-Star break, because there's going to be literally nothing going on outside of the odd rumor and the All-Star game that nobody really gives a shit about. Um, you no, I never watch the All-Star game. Maybe I'll watch Hylas, but yeah. I can't do it. It's more of a kid's thing, let's be honest. I never watch the game, I'll watch the skills comp, but that's about it. So what are your thoughts? Let's talk about it, since you just were talking about the All-Star game in general. Um, yeah. Do you think they should add like competitive significance to it, like they do in the MLB, for example? So, yeah, they took that away from the MLB, which is horseshit, because it's the only reason that like any All-Star game had a mean. But yeah, I'm with you. If you want to put some um, like oomph behind your, your All-Star game, give your team home ice advantage like whatever division win gets home ice advantage for the Stanley Cup finals I don't see anything wrong with there I think that would be really cool and obviously it would make the players actually try yeah and make the best players go to that tournament um but the only way that that would work is if they found a way to deal with potential injuries because right. like say it was the all-star game and it was that significance of who gets home ice advantage and McDavid gets like blown into the boards by Mark Giordano and blows out his knee Right. Like what? What's gonna happen there? Like, obviously, Edmonton season, who they're making a playoff, which would probably be over. Like, I don't know if they can make the playoff without McDavid where they're at right now. Um, but I, and like, yeah, there like, would be insurance issues with that too. With like, who's gonna pay the salary? Like, will the NHL just cover it versus the team self covering that because it was an NHL like event and not a team event or team yeah. game? I, I just I feel like even the all-star game playing not at a hundred percent the way it is now. I think you're almost open to more injury because you're lackadaisical. You're you're trying new things. Like, I, I don't know. I don't like it how it's it's here. Uh, I think it's different how in the NFL they have the Pro Bowl game at the end of the season. Like, would you consider that? I think if they are not interested in adding a more competitive aspect to the tournament itself or to the tournament yeah. the game, they have to move it to the offseason or something. And like, to be fair, I don't think a lot of players would be against having it like at a scheduled time during the offseason so they can schedule their breaks around that and all their trading and just come and fuck around for a couple days, especially the yeah. top guys who are like marketing. And I think it would also help keep the NFL more relevant throughout the entire year. Because during the summer, the relevance of hockey as, like, we found, for example, the summer with this podcast, there's just less people who care and, like, August about hockey. But if the All-Star like, game was there, maybe it might draw a little bit more attention to the game. Somebody's got to find a way to plug that hole in July. Like, when the MLB is on the All-Star break, um, in the middle of July, when it usually is, there's no sports on whatsoever for the entire week. I mean, if you want racing, sure, or golf, maybe, but there's nothing. One of the four, like, groups, it's obviously not the MLB because they need a break, but basketball, hockey, football, plug that hole. Like, give us something that week. Could they do like a about like a super all-star tournament that they do where they bring all of like the big four, maybe not big four, but like the NBA and the NHL and the NFL have like a joint all-star game, something like that. Sick. Where all three of them do something at the same time over like three days where there's like hockey and like 
all of the athletes, for example, like they'll be a one will be hockey. So like the NBA players have to play against each other in hockey. NFL players have to play against each other in hockey. And then NHL players play their game. The next day is like NHL players versus NHL players play basketball. And okay. okay on, I hear here um, on this topic. If you're playing, let's say NHL plays um, basketball players in basketball or what, like of those groups, who do you think is the most versed athlete? I would say that I think hockey players would do the best overall. Only Copy, because right? the other sports can't skate. Right. And that's literally yeah. the only reason. Otherwise, I might say it like football players because I would say they're probably the most, like, maybe not endurance-wise, but yeah. they are like they have the best, like, explosiveness out of any of the sports because they have yeah. to go all out for, like, 10 seconds at a time. Yeah, that's very... And, like, they're just the most, the most athletic people. It's kind of terrifying. <laughs> when you see a guy who's, like, fucking 7 foot 2 and 300 pounds, but he's sprinting faster than my fucking truck and go down the road. Yeah, that'd be an interesting. Maybe good idea. Let's start it. Let's start yeah. it. Wait, we'll, we'll run. We'll host the All Star game. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, the others take on Columbus Wednesday and Chicago, and we'll uh, see how those go. Hopefully, we have a good conversation to have at the end of that, and uh, see you next week.